the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, the government outlined its plans for October's budget via the summer economic statement. In parallel with that, we also had the release of exchequer figures for the first half of this year, showing another surge in tax revenues. In a few moments, you'll hear Colin McQuilla, Chief Economist of Davy, give his view on the health of the public finances. But I began by asking Irish Times economics correspondent, Omber Kennedy, to run through the headline details from both the exchequer receipts and the summer economic statement. Okay, so we had two big economic stories uh, yesterday on Tuesday, the launch of the government's summer economic statement and half-year exchequer returns. Uh, first to the half-year exchequer returns, they revealed the, just the strength of the various tax heads and the underlying performance of the Irish economy. So at the centre of the government's surging tax re- revenues is corporate tax. Uh, this the, the latest returns told us that uh, corporate tax dragged in a record 10.5 billion in the first six months of the year. The underlying performance was also boosted by strong um, income tax receipts and strong VAT receipts, both of which indicate the strength of the, uh, you know the strength of the domestic economy. Um, you know, strong income tax reveals that you know uh, there's more people at work. Uh, VAT receipts means people are still spending despite the inflationary squeeze. Now that came out at the same time as the government's summary economic statement. That's used now just to set the parameters of the budgetary package later in the year. So Minister McGrath uh, indicated that he intends to increase core public expenditure in October's budget by 6.1% to 91.2 billion. So that's a, a, a spending package of about 5.2 billion. There'll also be uh, tax measures totaling 1.1 billion. So the overall budgetary package um, will be around 6.4 billion. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is the government only three months ago had signaled that its spending package would be around 4.3 billion and there'd be a tax passage, a package. And so that's gone up significantly in three months. And, um, you know, that's going to probably draw criticism from the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council and the Central Bank, which have both been warning about the potential dangers of a big budget in the context of full employment and with overheating pressures mounting. So that's what we got yesterday. Okay, Colonel um, McCullough, Chief Economist with Davey, any surprises in the summer economic statement for you? Uh, not really. I mean, it's an extra billion of spending. Um, it's certainly the first kind of, I mean, it's the whistle is blown, uh, budget season is on. I mean, this is the first salvo in the debate. And I think an extra one billion at this point, I'm sure the Fiscal Advisor Council and the Central Bank will be, uh, you know, giving words of warning and saying, you know, we really shouldn't be breaking our 5% expenditure rule almost immediately that we've adopted one. And maybe we should have a little bit slower growth in spending. But I think the big issue is the 12 billion surplus, which the Department of Finance is forecasting for next year. And this is a time of the electoral cycle when backbench uh, TDs are getting nervous. Um, you know, Two budgets elect- left to the next election? Uh, yeah, but the next election isn't, well, almost certainly, probably be next year. And if there is, I mean, it'll be, it'll be very early 2025. So if you want to make a difference in terms of your support and you think you can do, use the budget to do that, it's going to be this one. Uh, so, I mean, there's only one billion for tax cuts. And I suppose that's the only really sort of key pace with inflation and raise the sort of tax Not really cuts, are they? I mean, they're tax no, they, measures. Exactly. I mean, if you weren't raising them, people would be calling it a stealth tax increase. So it's raising the bands and thresholds in line with wage inflation. So, I mean, really, I think... Um, 
you know, maybe a slightly more cautious attitude is what most economists would want. But I mean, this is pretty small beer compared to what could have happened. And it's, you know, early on, by the time we get to late September, early October, when the budget speech happens, I think the fear would still be that uh, politicians behind that 12 billion euro and saying we should do considerably uh, more. And the reality is that, you know, the economy is at um, full capacity. There's labour shortages now. Um, there's an inflation problem. Uh, and if you look across the water to the UK, you know, this difficult message that if you try to inject money into an economy operating close to capacity, you're going to struggle to actually generate anything that helps anyone. You're going to generate inflation. If you try to pour more push more money at, say, the um, health service, where there's a lack of doctors and nurses, you try to push it at the construction sector to deliver infrastructure projects, what you're going to get is inflation because the capacity just isn't there in those sectors. So it's a very difficult message to kind of communicate at the best of times, but just coming into an election uh, fever, it's particularly difficult one for, I think, politicians to appreciate. Yeah, they're talking about the corporation tax receipts. We hear a lot about uh, windfall corporation tax receipts. Interesting to get your view on this because uh, this has been happening now for years. When does it stop being a windfall? Well, windfall is one word to use it. I think realistically, we just don't know um, how much of these these tax receipts could be volatile or unstable, but they've grown enormously over the past two or three, four years. So look, I think it makes sense uh, to be cautious. But in some respects, you could even argue that the aberration was in the 2010s when you had enormous profits being generated, but those gen- profits were being moved to places like Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. Uh, the BEPS, the OECD BEPS reforms came in, we saw enormous transfers of intellectual property assets into Ireland. So arguably, and people certainly dispute this, and people do, uh, you could argue that to some extent the profits are closer to the substance of the actual manufacturing and the business activity, and that's happening in Ireland. Now, that's a debate we won't solve today. Mm. Uh, some people would say that you know Ireland is collecting too much corporate tax revenue and maybe further corporate tax reforms are required. And there are more corporate tax reforms in the system. Uh, but ultimately, I mean... The Department of Finance's base case is that corporate taxes will be stable and continue to grow gradually over the next four or five years. And there has been too much catastrophizing. It's an unstable, slightly difficult, um, nervous place to be when you're so reliant on these corporate taxes. So we should be prudent. But at the same time, we shouldn't expect them uh, to collapse either. I mean, you know, the life sciences sector, uh, the ICT sector will still be here in five years' time. Uh, you know, the, we we do have very strong industries and in sectors that are doing extremely well and look set to continue to do well. Um, so I wish we kind of could plan for the medium term in, in terms of infrastructural investment in the housing market and not always think about will our growth and our attractiveness for foreign direct investment just disappear in the morning. Now, they're talking about a new fund to save these windfall corporation tax revenues. Is that a good idea, in your opinion? Uh, it is. Um, I mean, we have very large amounts of money uh, which could either be injected into the economy and potentially generate inflation, or we can invest them. And, um, you know, there's a choice between bring, bringing down the national debt as bonds mature or investing uh, to meet things like, say, the cost of climate change, uh, the cost of ageing. Um, one of the sort of features, I suppose, of Irish government policy, which has been quite poor, is that in the bad times, we've tended to slash public capital expenditure. Uh, so, for example, we weren't building social houses. Uh, we weren't, you know, continuing to invest in infrastructure as we came out of the EUIMF program, and that's certainly not been desirable. It's kind of added uh, to our problems when we, you know, the boom bust cycle, uh, and also the problems with housing that we have at the moment. So, if the fund can be used to sustain capital expenditure in a more even keel over uh, the long term, I think that certainly would be desirable. 
Now, you had your own economic forecasts out earlier this week, and you've downgraded the forecasts for the Irish economy, for Irish GDP, on the back of what you describe as volatile data relating to exports and the multinational sector. What exactly is going on in the export sector at the moment? Well, look, I think the export sector is in a reasonably healthy pace. We, you know, we spoke about the multinationals. Having said that, the global economy is slowing. Uh, there's a lot of concern at the moment that the you know, Fed and ECB rate hikes that have occurred over the past six months will start to be felt maybe towards the end of this year and into 2024. So, um, you know, that's a slightly more difficult place to be. If you look at our manufacturing PMI, it's pointed to contraction. So if you're an indigenous uh, manufacturer here, you know, conditions are a bit challenging. Uh, but having said that, we saw GDP contract by 4.6% in the first quarter. That is statistical noise. We know that was entirely due to industry. And if you look at the monthly industrial production data, they fell by 45% in March and then rebounded by 70% in April. So that reflects the pharmaceutical sector almost certainly. And um, the CSO seemed to have quite a lot of difficulty in measuring uh, pharmaceutical output. It can get revised. It's very bouncy. Uh, in particular, the kind of prices charged for pharmaceutical drugs uh, tend to be revised. That sort of adds even more volatility to the um, the real GDP series. So what you saw in the first quarter was uh, statistical noise, and you know that should rebound in the second quarter. I mean, if you step back from that statistical noise, the Irish economy has been growing extraordinarily rapidly. You know, we are expecting a slowdown in consumer spending as energy bills hit households, uh, pay or disposable incomes. That slowdown hasn't happened whatsoever. You know, consumer spending rose by another 1.7% in the first quarter. If you look at jobs growth, it's now 12% above pre-pandemic levels. No slowdown through the turn of the year whatsoever. You know, people have been expecting that. In spite uh, of thousands of jobs being lost in the past nine months, let's say, in the tech sector, for example. In some parts of the tech sector, if you look at ICT sector employees, they're kind of broadly flat since the middle of last year. So some firms are doing well, some aren't. But I mean, across the globe, I mean, I think there was just a lot more momentum coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic that maybe people appreciated and therefore you've sort of seen weak growth or flat growth in Europe, the United States, uh, but certainly not the kind of contraction or recession some people are expecting. So that's true for Ireland to some extent. But beyond that, Ireland is just growing extraordinarily rapidly. And this can't keep on going forever. If you look at the labour market, you know, vacancies are very high. Uh, so you're seeing labour shortages. Um, our population has grown extremely rapidly. If you look at the housing market, that's clearly a constraint. If you look at participation of people in the labour force, that's at a sort of a 15-year high. So you really can't expect to be growing employment at 3% year in, year out, or by 2% in the first quarter of the year. So I think what's probably not appreciated is just how strong Irish economic growth has been. And, you know, we're at that point in the cycle when these bottlenecks and capacity pressures have been felt, and, you know, it will have to slow uh, at some point going forward. Right. You did call that out in your uh, uh, in your report, actually. You were saying that labour shortages and capacity pressures were likely uh, to restrict growth from next year on. Your GDP estimate um, is revised downwards to 5.5% from a previous 6.9%. Not as stark as the SRI. Uh, they went as low as 0.5% from 5.5% previously. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's not the first interview where people have made that distinction. The central bank uh, is much more similar to ourselves, they around 5% growth. Uh, the SRI are close to zero. And again, I think it's that first quarter uh, GDP number. Um, you know, they've taken a view of whether that's persistent, you know, what that means for exports. Um, I think their forecast may have been finalised before that April industrial production number came out, showing the 70% bounce back in just one month. Uh, but without trying to create any 
great disagreement with the SRI. I mean, I think it just shows just how volatile the GDP data are. Uh, when you look at the central bank ourselves, the SRI, there's actually a lot of consensus that you're looking at pretty strong growth in employment, consumer spending this year, stronger than would have been anticipated. And you've got supply constraints, which, which will be felt and ultimately slow the real pace of uh, the expansion of the economy in 2024. So I, I think to the extent to which there's a difference between ourselves and the SRI, and it's really just that sort of statistical noise, which we're all struggling to grapple with. Everybody's wondering about inflation and interest rates. They're kind of the two big issues uh, for people. Where do you see inflation going over the, the next year or two? Um, what about interest rates? Are we reaching nearly the peak of the ECB rate cycle? Yeah, on inflation, I mean, it's definitely coming down and the energy contribution is falling away. Uh, I suppose the issue internationally is what's happening to core inflation. Um, a little bit of good news there in Europe that um, input costs are beginning to fall back a little bit, uh, particularly in the manufacturing sector, but wage growth is a little bit more sticky and that's what's going to concern the ECB. In Ireland, though, I think one of the kind of issues which will probably get a lot more attention as the year progresses is what's happening to energy bills. In the UK this week, uh, Ofgem, uh, their regulator who directly regulates energy price has reduced its price cap for the average household from above £3,000 uh, to £2,070. And uh, the UK government has stepped in and limited uh, the average household bill to £2,500, but that's still a pretty sharp decline for the average uh, UK household. So that's a nice uh, development for them. And, you know, Ofgem clearly regulated the price directly. In Ireland, in contrast to most European countries, which we have seen falls in electricity and gas prices. The wholesale price has fallen very sharply to around 35 euros. coming true for consumers, there, is it? it? hasn't happened in Ireland whatsoever. Um, now, obviously, the energy companies hedge forward in terms of locking in um, energy, energy costs. They may have locked in at an inopportune time this time last year. Uh, but the Taoiseach has threatened um, windfall taxes uh, should we see profits uh, on the back of um, energy bills. So Ireland is beginning to look like quite an outlier at this point in terms of not seeing cuts in energy uh, prices. And, you know, our forecast for CPI inflation was based on the uh, on the assumption that uh, we'd see cuts of around 20% by the end of this year. Well, that hasn't happened yet. And I think it's certainly concerning and disappointing that we haven't seen cuts in, in energy bills. On rates, I mean, I think, you know, core inflation, as I said, is kind of surprised on the upside. There's a consensus now that we have the Sintra uh, Forum, ECB, uh, held last week, uh, Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England, you know, the Fed were there, and there's a sort of consensus among central bankers that now is the time to get tough. And they are going to raise rates until they see core inflation coming down. And this is really, so as take, this is kind of the consensus view among central bankers, you need to rein in inflation expectations to kind of get inflation down quicker and faster and ultimately less costly uh, than would be, otherwise be the case. So, I mean, again, Markets kind of expect the ECB to get the deposit rate up to 4%, so that's two more hikes uh, this month and again in September. Um, in the Bank of England's case, things have gotten extremely hairy over there. Uh, we had wage growth coming in at 7.6%, uh, inflation steady at 87 So these are absolutely eye-watering levels for any central banker trying to get inflation down. And I suppose there's a real sort of fear when they looked at the data. The central, you know, the Bank of England's projection that, or you know, assertion that there are signs of pay growth moderating just isn't happening. So you saw an extra 0.5% Bank of England rates now up to 5%. And the Bank of England, you know, has admitted inflation has been higher than expected, has launched a review of its own forecasting models didn't push back in any way against market expectations that rates in the UK uh, will rise to above 6%. 
So, I mean, average two, three-year fixed-rate mortgages in the UK are now above 6%. These are rates where the housing market is just not going to operate properly. So, again, people expecting house prices in the UK to fall by at least 10%, maybe more than that. But you're seeing effectively meltdown in the UK mortgage market at the moment. Um, and friends of mine, I've worked in the UK for eight years. Friends of mine who, you know, were initially on fixed mortgages out of a 1% to 2% interest rate, now facing, you know, refinancing at 6%. That's an enormous shock. Uh, to people's finances in the UK. Uh, the Bank of England itself estimated that if you look at, as people refinance this year, you could have 670,000 households in the UK who will be spending 70% of their disposable in- incomes each month on their mortgage payment. So these are the kind of levels where people start to get worried about mortgage arrears, uh, people defaulting on their mortgage debts. Uh, but ultimately the UK, because of Brexit, just seems to have the worst inflation problem in Europe. And the Bank of England is you know, raising rates very aggressively to deal with that, and that's going to be very problematic for the UK. When you talk about core inflation, what do you mean? Uh, that's excluding food and energy. And um, obviously energy is coming down. Food has been extremely strong, starting to stabilise a little bit. But when we think about core inflation, what we really mean is kind of the services sector and being driven by wage growth. Uh, so when you look at labour markets at the moment, unemployment very low. <clears throat> After the pandemic, a lot of older age groups don't seem to be participating in many countries. So those labour shortages appear to be quite acute at the moment. They're generating wage growth. And that's concerning the likes of the ECB, the Bank of England, the Fed, that if you've got this underlying pace of wage growth, which is not consistent with a 2% target for inflation, uh, inflation will be quite sticky out into the medium term. And therefore, let's raise rates aggressively now to rein in people's expectations and uh, get wage growth down, down sooner rather than later. So where do you see ECB rates going, let's say, over the next 12 months? Um, I think they'll get to certainly 4% at least this year. Bad news for Irish mortgage holders. Uh, moving into next year, there has been some encouraging signs on inflation in Europe. Um, so, But again, with central bankers, you know, they're not going to be cutting rates quickly and aggressively. I think for the first half of next year, they'll probably be holding them there. Maybe as we move into the second half of next year, you'll start to see better signs and you know, more encouraging signs of improvement in terms of core inflation coming down. And maybe at that point, they can think about cutting rates. But again, that's extremely uncertain. And uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to solve that debate about inflation uh, today. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Owen, you were at the press briefing following the publication of the Summer Economic Statement and the Exchequer Returns. Just wondering what Michael McGrath's Minister for Finance had to say, if anything, on energy prices and what the government might do uh, going forward and his view also on inflation. Yeah, well, we, we have this um, budget within a budget. Uh, you know, what I'm talking about is the, the one-off uh, tax measures, which we don't know how big that element will be. So outside of the 6.4 billion flagged, we're probably having going to have up to 4 billion in one-off tax uh, measures. Now, obviously, some of that, uh, most of that, will probably go to alleviating um the pressure on households from the cost of living changes. Um, now, if they go for another, you know, energy credit, I know that's really going to, um, you know, uh, come in for criticism from uh, groups like IFAC and the central bank because it's non-discriminatory. It goes to households that, you know, perhaps don't need it. 
and that can uh, you know have an inflationary element um so they haven't really given much indication just where their you know one off measures are going to go at this uh, juncture and then in terms of the tax package that's also um you know uh the ERSI were saying that uh, you know, there was no rationale for tax cuts and uh, the $1 billion that he's flagged for tax measures is probably going to go towards income tax and probably going to lift you know, the entry point to the higher rate of tax, which has been a long-standing uh, objective of Fine Gael. So it's very difficult to, to just see uh, how inflationary the government's budget package is, is because... You know, if if they, um, you know, if they spend on infrastructure, they could potentially argue that they're alleviating some of the bottlenecks in the Irish economy, and that would be deinflationary. But of course, you know, adding uh, this amount of money into the economy when we're, uh, you know, against capacity constraints in a lot of areas, you know, the economics textbook tells us that it has to be inflationary. Now, Minister McGrath spent most of the press conference uh, yesterday, you know basically saying that he was trying to strike a balance. And I think, um, you know, economists' warnings on one side have to be, uh, you know, put in the context of a political reality. I mean, telling people that uh, you're not going to spend because of overheating pressures is just very difficult sell for the government. Um, so, you know, he was trying to say on, a new, on numerous different occasions yesterday that he was trying to strike a balance between uh, keeping a kind of sustainable lid on the public finances, trying to uh, alleviate matters for uh, workers in terms of tax, and also then trying to invest in infrastructure and social services. So it, 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 it's, it's a difficult balance to try and strike. Um, I think the central bank have gone really hard on this 5% spending rule, and the government are now in a position of going to be reaching it for the second year running. In actual fact, they've they've never actually uh, maintained it. Even in the first year after its adoption, uh, the spending uh, increase was five point five percent. So it depends where you see that just that spending rule. Maybe is is it just an anchor, uh, a sort of you know a, 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 a sort of a, a place to kind of just reference spending, or is it a rule that we really want to keep? Now the the central bank. Uh, uh, Gabriel McClough in his letter to the minister a few weeks ago talked about, and, and Connell's made this point, talked about inflation changing from supply-driven, you know, we had the energy prices and supply bottlenecks at the beginning of this inflation crisis. Now it may be moving to more d- demand-orientated and domestic drivers, and in particular, uh, Connell had mentioned, you know, wage growth in the UK, which is, as he said, eye-watering. The central bank, interestingly enough, is predicting wage growth of 6% this year, and that would be nearly triple the rate we've seen uh, from a few years ago. So that that's definitely playing on the minds of uh, central bankers. And, you know, it is the single biggest question. It's just how long interest rates are going to stay elevated for um whether we get one or two more uh, rate hikes in the next few months that's that's one thing but i think the noises coming out of central banks is that there there's not going to be any um, movement downwards for quite some time and i think you know people are really going to start feeling it uh, mortgage wise uh, over the next couple of months and it's just really difficult to see how that plays out i mean if you take a negative view, you could think that the the worst of the inflation crisis might still be ahead of us in terms of the pressure on household budgets. 
Um, so that, that that's really um, clouding the outlook at the moment. Yeah, a lot of people might be wondering, Owen, what's happened to the tax cuts that were being uh, suggested back in May by three Fine Gael junior ministers who wrote a newspaper article um, calling for them at the time. I think Michael McGrath said he wasn't going to be bullied on the issue of tax cuts. He seems to have won the day. Yeah, well, the tax cuts is a kind of weird phenomenon. So um, there's a thing called the fiscal drag. And when the government um, are announcing 1.1 million or 1.1 billion in tax cuts, what they're not telling you is that because wages are rising, workers are falling into higher tax brackets and the government's probably going to um, scoop up an additional 1.3 billion in additional tax income tax receipts. So the net effect of the government's uh, changes plus uh, wage growth will be that the government will make more money, get more receipts from income tax. So you could actually argue on a net basis that an actual the budget will be um, you know tax raising rather than tax cutting. So Minister McGrath did make mention of the fact that you know the the, the tax uh, cuts that he's proposing will only actually basically you know be a leveling exercise. So um, you know the, the this this lack of indexation in the uh, Irish tax system means that a lot of workers will be you know, paying higher rates. So it just depends where the actual tax cuts fall and who gets them, you know, uh, as to whether, you know, you'll feel it, uh, you know, whether you'll actually be, be feel it in, in terms of your disposable income. Uh, what about housing, Connell? It's still a huge issue. It has been now for, what, the guts of 15 years. Are we any closer to solving the housing crisis, in your opinion? And what's your view on, you know, how many completions we're going to have in the next few years? Because there are some conflicting numbers coming out on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you looked at the middle of last year, people have said you know, we're looking at a really sharp decline in supply because of um, the, that input cost inflation and um, the viability concerns around um, home building. But the uh, completion numbers have held far better than anyone suggested. I mean, there are 30,900 in the year to the first quarter this year. So above that 30,000 mark for the first time uh, starts. Uh, we're actually over in 7%, I believe, in the first five months of the year, although that appears to be kind of entirely driven by Dublin and apartments. Uh, so the kind of um, developer house building part of it is down a little bit. Uh, but having said that, if you look at house price inflation for new homes, it's running at 11% in the first quarter of the year, year and year. So 11%. Yep. So, I mean, you've got things like the Help to Buy scheme, um, the equity loan scheme, uh, the Central Bank of Ireland surprised us all and decided to loosen the mortgage lending rules. Uh, so from January, you're allowed, there's no restrictions on, you know, the threshold for first-time buyer loan to income ratios is three and a half, now it's four. Uh, so there's a lot of demand stimulus for um, the housing market and it will have some positive effect. The, you know, traditional economist critique is, will be that um, you're not doing anything to kind of alleviate the supply constraints. And on that front, there's been a lot of problems, including all of those that sort of on board Panola and the amount of uh, applying permissions stuck in a board Panola and the backlog there. So, I mean, a lot of demand stimulus, um, a lot of supply side problems still unresolved. Uh, but overall, the home building sector kind of holding up a little bit better than expected. But I think when we think about sort of, will home building this year, you know, our forecast is for just under 30,000 units. I mean, the real issue is why we aren't building 40 or 50. Um, and, you know, we'd estimated in the past there might be a backlog of maybe 100,000 units um, uh, in terms of pent-up demand. So you need to have, you know, home building exceeding 30,000 units for a number of years to kind of eat into that. 
um, there's obviously a risk of that getting out of control and a bubble starting. Um, but ultimately, I think when you look at the amount of houses built in Ireland per person, we're kind of at the bottom of the European League. So there is a genuine housing shortage. Uh, some people will take a different view, uh, not least in the Irish Times recently, um, this week. Uh, but I think there is a housing shortage and... Um, you know, we need to be building forty, fifty thousand units to start making uh, inroads into um, uh, that pent up demand. And of course, there's another issue around you know just the cost of build of housing being very high. Not everyone is going to be able to afford uh, to pay to pay for a new house, and social housing clearly needs to play a role as well. Uh, when we look at the social housing completions, a lot of money in you know many budgets over the past four or five years, and you know very ambitious targets of around sort of ten thousand social houses built per annum. Uh, we've yet to get anywhere near that. And I think we really should be asking much more serious questions about the ability of approved housing bodies and in particular local authorities to to actually achieve those targets um, uh, at any point in time. And of course, there's a debate down about the extent to which their expenditure on social housing is impaired or um, made less efficient by some of the regulations and the form filling they need to do to satisfy central government. Uh, I'm certainly not an expert on that, but at the end of the day, Local authorities and approved housing bodies have not built anywhere near the 10,000 social houses where, you know, the Minister of Budget Time is saying there's around £2 billion in the budget to do that. Uh, so the money's been there, but it hasn't been deployed. So um, overall, look, construction sector holding up better than expected, but the bigger issues are still unresolved. Yeah, a few things there. Uh, Karen Holmes had a trading update out the other day for the first half of the year, and they said that they expect new home sales this year to rise by as much as 20% to somewhere around 1,800 uh, units. That would include 800 social and affordable units. And uh, interestingly, I thought it was interesting, especially in the context of what you said there about uh, you know new homes costing inflation running at about 11%. They're saying that the sales pricing levels that they're experiencing are relatively flat in the period. And that's in spite of an increase in construction costs for uh, one reason or another. And then a report in the Irish Times this morning uh, from Jack Horgan Jones saying that uh, because of various negotiations going on between state bodies and the Land Development Agency, which the government set up to sort of accelerate the building of social and affordable homes, and there's been a delay in the transfer of land, which would be able to accommodate 3,000 housing units. Yeah, I mean, you're interested in Karen Holmes, I think it's 1,800 units they're expecting this year, 800 going towards the public sector. So, I mean, there's some people out there who criticise uh, the lack of home who at, at, at once sort of say they want more homes for the market, for first-time buyers, but they also want more social homes, and the two are competing. So Karen Holmes is a very vivid example of that. I mean, if you've got 800 for people at the bottom, at the bottom of the income distribution, or maybe moving up into the middle, uh, and then, you know, 1,000 for effectively the top end, uh, so, I mean, if you're a politician looking at their output, you might say, well, where's the squeeze middle in all of this? And I think there's far too much debate in Ireland about, um, you know, particular types of housing are better than others. Ultimately, we have a lack of supply um, and, you know, we need to you know, focus on the supply constraints rather than sort of saying some houses are good and some houses are bad. Um, ultimately, if you have those 800 homes going towards social housing, that's going to create even more demand further up the income distribution and further pressure on the private market. So, I mean, I think there's a lot too much debate on the public-private split and, you know, really still supply constraints of Borp and all. We've mentioned planning, uh, the role of Irish water, um, you know, things we can we really probably should have planned for a couple of years ago to make sure they didn't go wrong. 
uh, you know, can we focus on those a, a little bit more? That's where the real issue lies. I think the LDA would miss there's some pretty ambitious targets put out there for the LDA. They haven't managed to get there. Um, there's been a range of delays. Here's another one. Uh, but I mean, the LDA, I suppose, some people might have characterized it as a state home builder. You can't just build up that development expertise overnight. Uh, and state land is a very thorny issue. Uh, we have to deal with semi-state bodies and clearly there's been a lot of delays and inefficiency there. So, um, you know, here again, a lot of commentators say the state should just build houses. Uh, well, as the front of the Irish Times shows you today, just building houses is not like flicking a switch. Uh, it takes time, it takes expertise. Uh, you face all of the same supply side constraints in terms of planning and acquiring land that everybody else does. Uh, so you can't just assume away the problem by saying the state should just build houses. Yeah, sure. In your opinion, is the government doing a good job on the housing crisis at the moment? Is it making progress? It's making progress. I think when you're looking on Borpanala and what happened last year, that was extremely disappointing. It wasn't as if we were just starting a housing crisis. We were well into it. And I think when we look at some of the issues around Borpanala, we maybe need, could have managed those a little better. Um, I'm always, you know, it's a very difficult situation, the housing market, and I don't think anyone has the, an easy answer for it because there there isn't one. Um, but I think on particular issues like, you know, planning and on board Penal, it's disappointing that, you know, seven years into a housing crisis, we're still trying to address them. Um, I won't lay all of that to the government store. I think, you know, the local authorities and the Department of Housing uh, should probably try to coordinate their uh, actions a little better and spend a little bit less time criticising mm-hmm. each other. You're probably being generous saying it's only seven years into the housing crisis. Uh, or perhaps it's 70 years, uh, but... <laughs> I mean, housing is obviously a difficult issue and it's very difficult. But, I mean, we are building more houses per person than the European average at the moment or in terms of improving our stock. So, again, it, it's come back to the boom-bust cycle of Irish housing. Uh, we've gone from, you know, a boom to the thousands of bust and it's taken a long time to get over the, the hangover from that bust in the, um, in the after the Celtic Tiger era. Final word to you on Burke Kennedy. There's a 6.4 billion euro budget package uh, essentially being flagged by the government. But we've seen in recent years how these budget packages tend to go up. Come budget day, they tend to be a bit larger than had been reported. Do you expect that to be the case again this year? Um, yeah, I wouldn't bet against it. I mean, we've had in three months a pretty sizable jump um, from what was flagged in the stability programme update and what's now been flagged in the summer economic statement. So, yeah, it seems like a bit of a movable, movable feast. And then obviously the conspiracy theorists among us are talking about elections around the corner and how much of a factor is that going to play in the minister's calculations. So yeah, it's 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 a really complex uh, matrix of numbers that uh, pe- people, even uh, you know, government officials, barely have a handle on. Um, so there's a lot of uh, off balance sheet stuff. There's a lot of figures moving in and out. Um, there's huge amount of receipts uh, washing through the exchequer at the moment. So it's hard to pin down sometimes exactly what the government is doing. Um, having said that, just li- listening to Connell there about, uh, you know, talking about increasing housing supply. One of the one of the big things uh, around all these overheating warnings that we're now hearing, I, I imagine most of the, the public are kind of tuned out. They seem to kind of follow us wherever we go, this overheating risk. But the last time we actually had one uh, uh, that properly manifested was in the lead up to the financial crisis. And of course, that was overtaken by a banking crisis. But one of the things in Ireland's boom bust cycle that we do notice that the minute we go bust, the first thing that is cut is the capital budget. 
And that's a big problem for us. You could actually look back and see, see that a lot of our infrastructural problems are because capital budgets are the first thing to get um, cut in a crisis. And then we find ourselves 10 years on, you know, with a, a lack of housing, a lack of, you know, a host of other areas in terms of infrastructure. So that's something we need to, you know, smooth out. That's something we need to keep an eye on. We really just can't allow the investment in infrastructure here to be throttled in any way by the mismanagement of the public finances. OK, we'll leave it there. On board Kennedy and Colin McQuilla, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Umber Kennedy and Colin McQuilla for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.